Hello, it's David here with a quick announcement and ad before we begin the post-apocalypse retrospective. First off, Emma and I have worked to flesh out and polish up the Bitter Rivals Brindlewood Bay mystery, and it is now available for $2 on itch.io. There are so many possibilities that our mavens never even started exploring with the mystery that your table could. I've run it a few times now, and because of how Brindlewood Bay operates, each experience has been wildly different. Uh, there's a link in the description for you to pick it up yourself if you're interested. Additionally, if you like the Brindlewood Bay Emergent Mystery System, but want something a little grittier in tone and body, you really ought to check out Jason Cordova's new game, The Between. It dramatically expands on the core Brindlewood Bay mechanics to help you tell daring stories of monster hunters in Victorian London, inspired by shows like Penny Dreadful. Stick around to the end of our retrospective to hear Jason say a few words about it in, honestly, the best auditory experience I've ever had in an advertisement. <laughs> now that I've built up that expectation, enjoy the post-apocalypse. I'll talk to you later. David.exe is running very slow today. All, everything up till now is going to be cut. So, quick side story. The night that we recorded was April 3rd. On the way home from recording at 11.49 p.m., I pulled into a gas station, pulled up to the pump, and the car on the other side of the pump had their gas tank cap thingamajig on the ground. And I stared at it for a solid minute. And by on the ground, I mean like a solid four or five feet away from the car, behind the car. Ooh. Not like I just set this on the ground because I have it detached. All right, where's the story going? <laughs> so I stared at it for a couple minutes. <laughs> did you think about stealing the gas? I did <laughs> think about stealing. Adding it to your cozy little place. <laughs> and, then, and then the guy comes out and is like, hey, how you doing? Walks three or four feet behind his car, picks it up, puts it back on his car and drives off. And so I found that picture from the night. That's beautiful. <laughs> and that's how you figure out what, <laughs> what night it was. Yeah. How do you remember? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, not. I like don't. His, his trick works for him. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to the post-apocalypse for Brindlewood Bay, uh, a game we all had a really, you know, really good time playing. Uh, and we're all really excited to talk about some of it here with you today. Of course, I have our cast with me today. We have a Pat or Patty, if you're nasty. <laughs> Bringing it back. Uh, Dempsey. The one word legend, Dempsey. <laughs> What's the one word? Dempsey. Samantha Michelle, Francis <laughs> Lee Cunningham. <laughs> uh, and of course. Oh, I'm Emma. Yarp. Rounding out our group, our group of uh, lovely old ladies. Uh, of course, uh, in, in roles, Pat was coach, uh, Dempsey was Diana Ma, uh, and Emma was Marion Berry. Please, I prefer my full name, Coach Dropkick McMurphy. You're right. I'm sorry. I, I, you're, you're right, and I apologize. I prefer um, my Christian name. Thank you. <laughs> So uh, to kick off, we're I think I've already have I already said kick off. Yeah, oh, a couple of times. <laughs> How many football uh, games we playing, David? Off. Yeah, to to, <laughs> to drop to, to coach drop kick McMurphy off. Uh, 
Uh, first, we're going to reflect on the system. We're going to talk about Brindlewood Bay, what we thought about it, what we enjoyed about it, what we what we were confused by, or anything like that. Um, I can sort of start us, unless one of you has something that immediately pops to mind. I am still confused by the crown system, <laughs> and I was the only one that did it twice. Oh man. Uh, just, just like an apocalypse world, I had no idea how to play the game. <laughs> That's part of the fun, I think. So Pat, of course, struggled with the crown system. Anyone else have any issues with crowns? Did everybody else get it? Nobody else used it, so... I feel like I get it. But I've also, like, David's been running some stuff uh, in Brindlewood Bay for a group of, of his friends, uh, including me, because I am also his friend. Aww. Um, and, uh... Why am I not in it? Because you're not his friend. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, because Brindlewood Bay caps out at a very low number of players. Um, and, uh, so I've got a little bit more experience in, in playing it now, and I feel like I understand most everything pretty well, she says, considering. I figured out how the crown system worked upon listening after playing and i was all like oh why was i such an idiot that makes perfect sense well that makes me feel better because that means that that hopefully anyone listening to the show got a good understanding of how they worked even if you playing the game did not oh man (laughs) during i'm all like wait a minute i can do that oh right i can do that how do i do that We did. uh, Yeah, there's definitely some stuff cut off mic that every time Patrick did go to use a crown, we had to explain it again. (laughs) I think that uh, you you had a little bit of a like you were a little bit confused by it. And then pat.exe kind of kind of stalled. And so it was hard to get back on track from there. I think there is also an element where we maybe potentially over relied on our items from the cozy little place. Oh, actually, that, that reminds me that uh, there are a few elements of the game, uh, like the Gold Crown Mysteries move uh, and the Occult move. And the Cut to Commercial move. Cut to, cut, I was a little disappointed we never did a commercial. I know, I know. Uh, there's just lots of stuff. You mentioned the, uh, the over-reliance, Dempsey, on, on uh, items from the cozy little places. And I don't think that was really an over-reliance. It's just the, the, the part of the system that you all decided to explore, right? Um, I think that there's one of the really cool things about Brindlewood Bay is that there's a lot of power in the player's hands and there's a lot of different like there's a lot of creative ways you can solve your problems that you uh, you know encounter in the game. And you all decided that you wanted to use the the items from your backstories that you're you know that each each of you helped collaboratively build in that setup episode. So my thought behind it was this is a one shot. This is our one chance to use this stuff. Might as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. For sure. <laughs> I will say we did talk about the commercials a little bit, right? We talked about it in setup, but then we never actually did one in the game. Right. Okay. Yeah. I would ask you to do one right now, but we're on a time. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't have a ton of time to record this today. I, um, I do think that the cozy little place items having little to no drawback was significant in comparison to the other things that were like... You could potentially die taking on too many of these crowns. Mm-hmm. Yep, your character uh, can come to their end. I, I'm a little bit sad that nobody ever put on a void crown. Yeah, uh, we did. We did two crowns of the queen, which are admittedly, I think, narratively better for for podcast because you have to narrate a scene that goes with it. And so, of course, that was really fun and interesting. 
But the Void Crowns, especially the more you get, the more interesting like layers they add to the game. Void Crowns are great, I would say, for a longer running game. For a one-shot, I love the scene narration, so mm-hmm. it's good. Yeah, it's a dang good thing that my improv skills are pretty decent because I had to come up with two narrative stories just off the cusp about a character <laughs> that I just made. Well, you did think, great. Why do you think we cast you? <laughs> That's right. I don't know, Dempsey. Why did you cast me? <laughs> well, that's because he wants to sleep with you. That's but... true. He definitely wants to go double dating with me anyway. The double date is still on the table. <laughs> um, so so obviously, as Emma just mentioned, uh, I have run Brindlewood Bay outside of uh, the one shot we ran. I really, really love running Brindlewood Bay. It's my favorite thing to run right now. Um, but... Just uh, this is like a question I like to ask. Would you play Brindlewood Bay again? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I think that um, we were talking about like using the crowns of the void versus crowns of the queen. Uh, I think that the crowns of the void for a one shot also like don't don't work quite as well because of the narrative bits of it, but also because like everything with the void and the 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 deeper occult mystery uh is supposed to span over a longer period of time so like even in in ours we only got kind of a a taste of it at the very end spoilers (laughs) if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to the game what are you doing stop stop this go listen to the game and then we'll be here when you come back we'll wait yeah we'll wait and we'll actually, we'll stop recording. No, no, no. We'll wait for you. We'll wait. So now that that's done. <laughs> so now that you've watched, and sorry, now that you've, <laughs> now listened, that you've watched, now that you've listened to Brindlewood Bay, now that you've watched all of that transpire, yeah. I will say playing it again. One thing I would hope for um, is exploring perhaps the supernatural element a little sooner, because if I recall correctly, in the high school we had an alternative scene that then got called back because of a move and was going to be very out of this world and then returned to just a, you know, just a door, just a, just a typical exploration of, you know, what happens to be a staple in all of our adulting, a door in a high school getting <laughs> opened and closed. <laughs> I mean, that's an over and over adulting as a teacher <laughs> over and over. Um, I think that Brendlewood Bay was the most uh, fun that I had uh, in playing like a mystery mm-hmm. style game. I think it's a really good system if you want to solve a mystery. Um, that being said, my brain only functions so much, and uh, I don't think I could do it outside of an occasional one shot doing a whole campaign in it. I see the advantage because then you can get further into the uh, occult stuff. I just don't think that I could solve that many mysteries. <laughs> well, that's why you have a team, right? Yeah. Kind of keep your, to jumpstart your brain. And and also it's worth mentioning that like we recorded almost all of the session in one go. Uh, and a lot of mysteries end up spanning two sessions from my experience playing Brindlewood Bay. Dude, so my brain was so tired after that first yeah. session because we got... 
all the way from the beginning of the game to uh, to the end of theorize to I gave the theory of yeah. how mm-hmm. it happened, and then we stopped because we were all tired and loopy and slap happy. I mean, we've been running for a, about seven hours straight with 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 breaks, but like, yeah. Pardon me, but this is largely, and I mean exclusively, largely your fault as to the number of jokes that unfortunately are now on the blooper reel. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't make jokes. I'm not that kind of person. Oh, Nothing we, eponymous here. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who is our keeper? No. Uh, <laughs> no, no one today is the keeper. Uh, <laughs> That's true, actually. <laughs> no, but, we, we diverted a lot in that game. There's a lot to that edit. Uh, <laughs> you Trust me, everyone out there, you are so thankful this was not a stream. You, you don't know how thankful you are, <laughs> but, but it's so much better since we edited it. Anyway, anyway, uh, we're, we're spending a lot of time talking about that. One thing I will add, I say that, uh, that we should move on. But the one last thing that's supposed to be part of this section is us talking about what, what we did wrong. Uh, and the most obvious one to me, at least, is uh, there's the moment when uh, while, while, uh, right, the, the complication when Marion found the receipt on the body um, was that some of the details were obscured. And then we rolled an investigation on that clue. We, we rolled a medal, um, uh, Diana did, to like figure out more information from that clue. And basically, like we invented, we invented a new clue then to like add that clarification. Uh, but that's not like technically supported by the game. Oh, is that not how it's supposed to work? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, the. <laughs> uh, and I think part of that is that um, it's fine. Rules are meant to be broken. Going into playing Brindlewood Bay, something that I would remind everyone who goes to to play it, um, you you should approach your meddling as sort of like poking around and and looking for clues. You're not forensic investigators, right? So like this isn't this isn't an NCIS game. This is like doddering old ladies. Uh, solving their murder mysteries a la campy crime novels. I got away with uh, crime scene investigation once with the yes. med kit. Yes. That was it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think uh, we came into it originally maybe approaching it just a little bit wrong. But I think as the game got on, we figured it out. Like And, and we we did great the longer we Well, we I don't know. It. You did the scotch tape thing with the fingerprints too, Dempsey. That's kind of crime scene That's true. Um, and we we gave some details there. I think that something you might end up doing as a MC for this game is like a lot of times you're adapting clues to situations, but sometimes like if you really feel like the way they're investigating, none of the clues you have remaining in your arsenal makes sense. Just add a clue. Like no one's gonna know that you added a clue. That's true. Um, so like Blue will know. Blue always knows when you add a clue. <laughs> she gave you three, David. Three, no oh, more, man. no less. Let's, yeah, let's once again, Pat, let's limit our audience to anyone who's very familiar with Blues Clues, I guess. Uh, that's at least larger than that's Cyclone true. Sam. <laughs> it's not as bad as Apocalypse World. <laughs> Anyways, uh, uh, let's move on to something else that we're going to spend way too much time on Stars and Wishes or Lunch. No, we are not breaking for lunch. 
Uh, <laughs> let's move on to stars and wishes. So stars and wishes uh, are where we'll discuss our stars from the game, the, the moments that we loved. And you can give these out to yourself. You can give these out to any of the other players, to the system itself, to, to me, the, the keeper. And then we'll get to wishes, which are sort of if we were to play another one of these, where what would you want to be next for your character or for the story? I would love to start off with yeah. wishes, and I would like to, or, or no, uh, stars, stars, yeah. yeah. Uh, I would love to start off with stars, uh, and I'd like to give it to David, our eponymous keeper. Oh, thanks. Uh, for uh, making me terrified to use the restroom in his house, not once but twice during this game. It was excellent. Uh, it wasn't intent. I, I didn't go into the setup hoping for that, but I didn't leave the setup disappointed. <laughs> Uh, all throughout a star, um, I really loved the burgeoning, re- <laughs> the the burgeoning reluctant relationship between Diana and Bartleby, uh, and and also just the Dempsey made a lot of uh, character decisions on the fly for that, um, and and like there wasn't a discussion. He he just worked it into Diana Ma's character, um, and I like loved. Yeah, they've had a relationship before, and it's it was a quite quite the interesting relationship. <laughs> it was done very uh, very well, and that was so fun to then like showcase in the edit and like make pop because it was it was so fun to happen at the table. Uh, I want to give a star to Dempsey as well for the uh, the cupboard slash bag of various jams and jellies <laughs> that he gave Marion. That was a very very smart. Uh, piece of of cozy little place accoutrement i had completely forgotten that that actually came up in gameplay like uh when yeah, she used it to uh dissolve the lock right yep. uh yeah. there was a a like one of those metal gates drawn across one of the hallways and yeah she used it there and i had like when i got got to the edit finally i'd completely forgotten about that <laughs> i still wouldn't eat that chicken no i know it's all right so earlier when I said that I thought we were too resourceful on those, I think there was also quite a bit of really forward thinking um, game planning in that segment as we assembled those items. And while obscure, except for the avocado green crocs, sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm really sad that none of those uh, came up at any point, actually. Next time. This is true. Um, I would throw out a star for who's the keeper? Uh, I believe uh, David. Ah, yes, David. I could be wrong, though. I don't know. David, are you the keeper? <laughs> for those of you watching this, zoom in. He has quite the face on right now. Because there will definitely be a zoom in <laughs> on this audio podcast. Absolutely. Um, to throw... <laughs> To throw a star out for David, um, as we all know, one of the functions was imagining what could go wrong before we rolled. And I think early on, we were honest with our take on this is bad. And then we realized, oh, no, it's going to be potentially bad as it could be. And so we would kind of be hesitant and imagine a, well... Maybe we step in a puddle type bad <laughs> to which David kept us honest and I think interesting for the sake of the story and interesting for you, the listener, that it was no longer this kind of hesitant, well, 
it would really suck if I stubbed my toe here and really pushed us for for more. I mean, I think that's one of the things I really love about night moves is that you you get to sort of put forward your your honest, maybe a little bit hopeful. Uh, like this is the I, what I think the worst that can happen here. And I can tell you, yeah, but this is how it's worse. Uh, but then if you're going to have a mechanic like that, I love also that, uh, like two, two things, one, having that sort of keeps us honest, right? You know, going into it, what to expect from it. And if I give you something else, then like, I'm not being forthright or honest with you. So like, I like that, like that accountability there. And also there's just like baked in consent there as well, because uh, as per the text of the game, you can always back down if you don't, if you are not happy with going down a route that might result in that. Mm Mm-hmm. Not that we ended up doing that. I think we always went forward. Um, even if a crown ended up being used to avoid it, um, the never did any of you decide to do something else. Like to throw another star out to uh, all the teachers out there. <laughs> this one, <laughs> this uh, game uh, is uh, for you. Uh, thanks for all your hard work and dedication. I'm sorry that we implied that a lot of teachers were alcoholics. We didn't mean to. Um it just kind of happened. We already did our, our counter PSA in, <laughs> in that game right In character. So. Uh, actually, a star sort of to, to that moment and, and more to all of you uh, at the table for really committing to your characters and to the different bits that came with them. Um, I, I oh, we had a lot of that. fun with the phone call about oh God, uh, Diana being uh, to her own meeting on time. Yes. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> I thought about that driving over to this recording today. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of behind the scenes there. Dempsey is not one to be on time, typically. Uh, yeah, I can say this. Dempsey has been at least... Uh, five to ten minutes late to every recording for this show. <laughs> you should have heard the like the way that David hit on the phone last night. All right, if we're gonna record tomorrow at ten, you need to actually be here at ten. And not not to continue throwing Dempsey under the bus, but I will. Uh, <laughs> he then responded, "Is it the eponymous I'll- bus?" <laughs> yes, it is the eponymous, but we're throwing Dempsey right under the eponymous bus. Uh, <laughs> well, that's a keeper. Yeah. He, <laughs> <laughs> he specifically said, specifically said, uh, okay, I'll, I'll plan to be there by 945 then to make sure that like I'm there in time to set up. And Dempsey was here at 1007. That's <laughs> true. You, I, I was looking at my phone when you rolled in through the door, Dempsey. But I was in the driveway at 10.02. <laughs> well, you took well, five minutes took... to get out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> um, any other stars before we move on to wishes? I'm just happy I had a cat. Oh, no. I I loved Goji. And I, I loved I loved how Marianne always talked so sweetly to Goji. Just like, Goji, dear. I would like to give a star to Emma for rolling so goddamn high on the theorized roll. Oh, yeah. So I did not have <laughs> to come up with another theory. Hey, let's uh, give a star to Pat for his dedication in starting to theorize in the middle of the goddamn session. It's true. <laughs> starting to write shit down. It's true. Not the we- reason that he was a little bit quiet 
for the last half of the game is because I, he was writing. I was mulling over my notes and Dempsey's notes that were next to me and putting them together and w- literally was coming up with the theory that we used uh, because it had become very clear that I was going to have to be the mouthpiece for the theory. And I went, oh, crap, let me put these <laughs> clues together and figure something out real quick. Yeah, I loved, you did great. I loved Coach sort of organically slowly becoming the leader of the group. I mean, I had the transportation. That's right. That's true. Oh, God. I forgot about the motorcycle. Oh, the motorcycle. Oh, I love that. How could you forget about I the motorcycle? I don't know. It was beautiful. It was so good. <clears throat> um, a- a- Any last stars before we move on to wishes? We do need to continue our march forwards. I would just say on the star roll, regardless of any changes you would make to the game between character names to setting, the roles in and of themselves make it completely uh, unique and impossible to recreate. That's as true. A, yeah. As start a, of the system game. for the replayability. Oh, yeah. Uh, huge star for replayability of, of games. Like we, I just re-ran Bitter Rivals uh, for uh, a, a Brindlewood Bay campaign I've been running on the side. And the conclusion was so radically different. They ended up finding Rob, uh, who was like, had faked his own death. And they were like going to put him in witness protection in order to like get him to testify against the mob. That's actually really fun. I brought in Soren from uh, from Undying. That's right. As an FBI agent. That's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Which means I got to impersonate Phil's uh, (laughs) character, which was fun. Oh, David. What? Let's have a taste. Oh, no. <laughs> no, my impersonation was not good. Because the problem is, uh, in, in oh boy, we're going to divert a little here. In, when we were playing Undying, uh, I kept accidentally slipping into, like, mimicking Phil's New Yorker accent. Yeah. Because when it takes place in LA, yeah, I would like to clarify <laughs> if it wasn't clear, Undying took place in LA and everyone had New Yorker accents. Well, now, except Dave, who had a Chicago yeah, accent, he was from Chicago, and he didn't have a New Yorker accent, yeah, it was just it was, it was just, just Soren. Soren. and and every NPC who I didn't have time to think about beforehand. Because the problem is, David is a chameleon, and if somebody at the table is doing uh, any kind of accent, he will pick up on it. I sure will. I sure will. Anyway, that's enough talking about a different game. <laughs> yep. Yes. Uh, let's talk about wishes for Brindlewood Bay. If you were to play another session of this or play a whole campaign of it, uh, where would you like to see your characters go next, or what would you what would you want next for the story? I really. I really want to see Coach uh, actually physically fight uh, uh, Bell um, Raymond. Bell Raymond. <laughs> Man, I could not think of her name. Okay. You, you want Coach to throw hands with Bell? I okay. do. I do so bad. I'm. This is, She's gonna lose, but I want to see it so bad. This is really interesting because. Um, the the cult that is like at the at the center of it that's behind like everything uh is a cult to persephone and i'm like a huge persephone stan um she's my favorite goddess and so like i don't know how i would approach like taking that on in a deeper way cuz there is a part of me that just kind of wants to like go full in and like I don't know 
become a member of the cult, I guess. Try to make contact with a goddess. I mean, you could do that. A cult move, baby. We can always add new stuff. I um, also kind of wish, like I said, that the uh, the Crocs came up at any point. <laughs> and I would wish for that to happen in the future. How about from you, Dems? I got one too, but I'll wait. Um, some of the things I would say would be in regards to Diana finding her identity again post Firebird. Mm, yeah. And mm. being able to really see her in kind of a, a full state of mind where she's just happy and relaxed and not in this cranky hangry mode of muffin investigator (laughs) the other thing i would say is there's quite a few places that you had planned out as the keeper correct yep Mm -hmm. sure am um he certainly is i'm I'm dedicated to this bit for today (laughs) which is really funny because i don't think you made the joke once he didn't no something like that it was just you and me yeah well Anyhow, there was quite a few, um, <laughs> just like recording sessions, Dempsey is late to the party. <laughs> <laughs> There's quite, quite a few places within Brindlewood Bay that had been sketched out that we did not explore. And so I think there's a richness of the tiny little coastal town that, um, would be enhanced. And then just the fun element of the story is the storytelling of the character's background. And so there's obviously more background to unpack and get to know those characters more fully. For sure. And I would say that in that regard, um, while potentially less suspenseful would be, um, very fulfilling as just a, a chunk of the world that is told here. Not, To backtrack to uh, the stars, but I'm going to just a little bit. Uh, Dempsey brought up Diana having to re-find herself after the whole Firebird situation. Uh, The fact that you chose Diana to be obsessed with the Firebird and that being a driving force of your character was amazing. It's true. Nobody asked for that, but it was one of my favorite parts of the game was you just like praising the firebird. And then the two of us being like, eh. yeah, f- firebird. Yeah, w- one one last star. Uh, I mean, we're, we're loading up Dempsey with stars, but he really did knock it out of the park with Diana. Uh, was was <laughs> you, you said enough crazy stuff that I think. <laughs> Three out of the four episode titles come out of Diana's mouth. Uh-huh. Uh, because, boy, Diana just said some things, huh? I'm still mad at you for the very last bit where you're like, I've lost my glasses and I can't find my muffin. <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing, too. Uh, the fact that uh, Diana was so just batshit insane is how we were able to pull off so many unexpected things uh that that being one of the best jokes i think in the entire podcast (laughs) with the door creaking yeah (laughs) because and like the the fact that that is absolutely something that we believe diana would do (laughs) is what makes that moment so much better 
Um, okay. All right. Enough it's stars. Good, good Enough shit. stars. Uh, the the wish that I will add actually sort of branches us into our next topic, which is like behind the scenes uh, answers to questions you don't even know to ask. Um, and it's also a wish. Uh, so as we mentioned earlier, we ended up splitting recording right after Theorize. Uh, we, we ran the whole session straight. Uh, and I'll, I'll remind you that Brindlewood Bay is like very improvisational. Um, so like that Theorize, I did... I had no idea what was coming for me at the end of that session. Uh, and I had, I think it was just a week in between then when we then recorded next to, so. to do our final you know, closing scenes, the end of our mystery. Um, and which gave me a little bit of time to think about it. And so that's why uh, stuff feels pretty full. Um, that like the, the conspiracy feels pretty full uh, as little hints of it are dropped by uh, Bell Raymond in that, that closing scene. Um, and like what I'm going to add as a wish is with Rob as the Phoenix, uh, Bell Raymond as the Vulture, uh, I was actually building out that all of the midwives of the Fragrant Void or anyone associated with the cult uh, was going to be represented by a bird um, of, of some significance uh, to, to Greek thought and myth. And so, like, for example, the, the Vulture uh, is a bird of omen, uh, a, a harbinger. Uh, and so as Bell Raymond is the character who first reveals information about the cult to you, that there is this this group um, that has these interests that she war- warns you away from, um, she fit that role. That's why I chose the vulture for her. That's why it is a vulture at the end. Uh, and so being able to expand on that cult, I was really excited to do. I'd love to do more of that. That's my wish. My wish is that we would then also take on aspects of different birds. I could see that happen, if, especially if you go the occult route and uh, decided to try to contact Persephone yourself. Could get interesting. Um, but that does bring us behind the scenes now. Uh, is there is there any detail from recording that you want to bring up? Or uh, We kind of touched base a little bit uh, on it, but I'll bring it up again and bring it more in depth. Uh, the fact that we started theorizing, like, not even an hour into us recording, uh, we took a lot of breaks. And any time that David left the room, the three of us were all like, okay, are we on the same page here? Is this what so we happened? think is going, what's going on? on? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think we started theorizing uh, right after we discovered the, uh, the Firebird emblem in the closet. And that's when we really started going down the route of, oh, this is supernatural. Mm-hmm. Is that the the one that was like in ashes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I love how void clues, even though they might not be a direct component of the mystery, can influence how the mystery itself unfolds or, or how think, it's theorized to be. I think we all just really wanted to uh, really lean into the supernatural yeah. side of the game. It's fun the case to uh reiterate that i am a huge persephone stan david and i have a cat our first cat together uh she is a a beautiful black cat and she was very sweet and her name is persephone yep so and uh, (laughs) i think actually she appears very briefly she does set up episode she does she was screaming at the door because we couldn't find her when we were putting the cats in the other room uh and she wandered her way up because she wanted to know what we were doing without her. Um, and yeah, so yeah, Persephone makes an appearance in our game. Certainly does. 
Um, any other fun behind the scenes stuff? I feel like this this one was pretty straightforward. Uh, Patrick does really think that our house is haunted. I really don't think the house is haunted. I just really like leaning in to the fact that it might be haunted because uh, David and Emma live in a very old house. 130 years old. It's 130 years old. Uh, the main staircase creaks with every step. And when I say creaks, I mean the motherfucker screams with every step because it's a, so loud. Think of a stiff spine and a foam roller. <laughs> yes. Adonis. Um, <laughs> Adonis. Uh, yeah, that staircase is no longer strong enough to squeeze Adonis. <laughs> um, listen, if you were 130 years old, you would be haunted too. Listen, I'm not even close to 130 years old, and I creak just as loudly as the staircase is. Bold of you to assume that he's not haunted. That's fair. That's true. true. There is indeed a skeleton inside of him. Uh, yeah. He has one in his closet. It's true. <laughs> in his cozy little place. That's right. Is it? <laughs> do I? I do now. Currently being fueled by monster. Fair. Anyway. Um, I forgot what we were talking about. <laughs> Behind the scenes. Oh, right. Uh, I thought that was our commercial. No, we're not cutting to commercial. We don't have time for that. I just... That was the commercial. Oh, boy. Um, for Monster Energy. Pat's drinking it right now. <laughs> There's the commercial. There it is. We're done. If Monster Energy would like to sponsor us. Honestly, I'd rather they wouldn't. <laughs> All right. completed. <laughs> but uh, a behind-the-scenes note that I feel needs to be said is that I did, in fact, use the bathroom on the second floor at one point during the game. So I am not... Did you look in the mirror? I did not look in the mirror. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> I 100% did not look in the mirror, and Dempsey might have been outside the door the entire time saying stuff. Well, no, Dempsey was not. That was the ghost. <laughs> no, I stayed in the room, which just happens to be directly next to the bathroom, just, you know, one door down the hallway. And to also build into the, you know, aesthetic of the building there is a nice little glass pane above the bathroom door that can be tilted as kind of an open airway and so that was tilted and the reflection from here to there you can see who's in the bathroom and so i made a mention of that not in any way to be you know disturbing but disturbing <laughs> for pat <laughs> was the revelation that he was not yeah, so Dempsey outside the door just says, hey, Pat, I can see you. And, yeah, <laughs> after the buildup, that's a bit spooky. <laughs> I did not look in the mirror when I was in there. Uh, anyway, anyway, any last details of that before we get to listener questions? I'm really excited to get to these, so. So am I. There were a lot of yeah. good listener questions submitted. All right, then let's just let's just crack into some of those. Uh, we'll, we'll move right on. Uh so first off, uh, yeah, first off, I'm going to kick off. Oh boy, I'm going to keep saying that phrase, huh? This <laughs> drop kick drop, Murphy drop, off. Drop kick off. You're right. Uh, so first, let's let's. There's a few questions from uh, Dreams in 2D6 on Twitter. I'll do the first one here uh, to start us. The theorized move does a very good job of tying together the clues and giving the players a Columbo-esque moment to really take the story in a wild direction if they want to. A hard sell sometimes with detective-style games and stories. My question is in two parts. 
Do you feel like the move removes too much agency from the keeper, essentially railroading the MC, maybe a bit overpowered? Or are they something to roll with and go uh, answer because it's fun? I think uh, that the fact that the keeper doesn't get to come up with the answer to the mystery is uh, a fun twist because then it makes the keeper get to be a player themselves for a little bit where they have to now figure out how to put that answer into the game um, and make it make sense and work on the fly. Uh, so I actually like that the answer is in the player's hands and not the keeper's. It's also very, uh, very much the case that like the keeper gets to pick which clues to give out, um, and gets to, gets to decide like where to start us and what sort of what direction to lead us in as far as like where we might go next and that sort of thing. And we have some amount of control over that but like we can only work with the things that we are given so like i think that it is actually pretty well balanced in in player agency and gm agency um i i think it's it's done really well also hi dreams in 2d6 i would say on top of that not to go back to stars but (laughs) the effectiveness of the game comes from the ability of the keeper to roll with the players and so um there is a level of success that we experienced because david the keeper correct that he's the eponymous keeper david is the eponymous keeper sure am and in that the experience that he brings to the the game is something that can't be overlooked because for those that are brand new into keeping then that experience will build to the point where the keeper and the players are able to balance one another in a way that i think we successfully did in this game yeah building off a little bit of what um mc and emma just sort of described for for the balance between the keeper and the players and a little bit with what pat said as well um The keeper, I think their control of the story uh, is much more driven. It's it's front loaded in the mystery. And what I mean by that is like uh, every time a complication uh, occurs, either either a complete miss or a a partial, like especially those those partials. Right. Um, Because usually people don't bother crowning those as often. And what that means is uh, anytime one of those complications occurs that's the mc's chance to influence the story uh as well they can bring in characters uh the clues they select to give to the players and how they tend to describe them the the base clues are rather vague intentionally so that you can sort of pull them in in different ways in different situations that's one of the things that makes mystery so replayable and i actually was really surprised going into it i thought that when i was going to be emceeing it that i was going to feel like the mc didn't have as much control um, which I was excited for because I, I wanted to really have something that pushed a lot of that narrative uh, 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 control to the players. And I found that when playing, I was very hesitant as the MC to make story decisions because I felt like anytime I was giving you a clue uh, that I was trying to really be agnostic regarding me trying to influence the story. Like I, I wanted to put that power in your hands. Um, so like 
with that in mind, obviously, I like theorize as it is. I like the fact that you all get to make those decisions and then I get to react to them. But actually, I do think that the MC has a fair bit of power, much more than I originally realized about this, like about just reading the system um, when it comes to giving out clues, giving out complications to really steer the story however they feel they they would like it to. And I'll add that that's actually a good thing that like. The MC being able to contribute to to direction of the story is also valuable, um, especially because you can like start to lead things a certain way. And if someone has a real bad miss, uh, you can now throw a complication that completely contradicts that. Um, and that happens in like mystery shows all the time, right? Where like the audience gets a sensation. Oh, I think I know where this is going. I think mm-hmm. I know where this is going. And then oh, shoot, my main suspect just died. Oh, it's the butler, it's the butler, and then the butler dies. Yes. Uh, And so I think that's one of the genre things that this game lets you play out. And I think that the MC has that power early on. And uh, as as Dempsey mentioned specifically, like they they react to it after the theory, Mm -hmm. right? So like the the MC still, still describes how it goes down, even if... Um, the mavens are the one who who solve the mystery. Um, I like the balance. I think it's really great. Um, I think we spent too long on that question, maybe. So let's move on to another one. Um, another one from Dreams in 2D6 was uh, Patreon. When? Uh, whenever I figure out what our tiers are. Uh, I think I'm still targeting to release that maybe. I believe the they're watch. the uh, salt and water that comes out of your eyes when you're upset. Yep. Yep, they are. You, you got me, Pat. That we hey, just by release... the way, Persephone just made another appearance. That's Ariel. No, that's Ariel. That is Ariel. Our other black cat. <laughs> yep. Uh, she's here, so if you hear meowing on the record, it's her. That's just It's just a natural ambiance of the house. Mm-hmm. It's fine. But until then, you can PayPal, Venmo, or Cash App me at Dempsey <laughs> Diana Ma. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I feel compelled to say that does not exist. Anyone who, If you do see one that does exist, it's a fake and they're trying to get your money. Um. But anyway, uh, soon, uh, that's been in the works for a while. I just haven't finalized what we want to do for tears and stuff. And so we haven't launched it. So probably with the watch at some point, I, th- I think we'll, we'll do that. Oh, by the way, the watch is our next game. I've alluded to that on Twitter and other places, but like we're playing the watch. If, if we, sorry, we've already played the watch. We're going to start releasing our edited episodes uh, after, after this. We're going to move on to the setup next release. Guys, guys, the watch is amazing. Oh, it's so fun. Uh, I don't want to like baby girl. Ariel is just rubbing herself all over the mics. That's okay. They're all uh, isolated, so I come to Uncle those. Patty. Come to come to baby jail. Anyway, you were saying. Uh, I don't. I don't want to like downplay how fun and how how great some of these other games have been, but I think the watch may be the best game we've played. I think it's the tightest story we've told. I, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, the best. It's it's the best uh, the best arc we've done so far. Oh, uh, you keep using the word best. I don't know. I love I love meets in Brindlewood Bay. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> this was very very good as well. Anyway, um, all right. I got one more from uh, Dreams in Two D Six before I move on to another uh, question asker, uh, and that is with four games under our belt. Uh, you know, you seem to have a good format going. Uh, what's the likelihood that someone else will take up the position of MC and give David a chance to derail the conversation with puns? Amen. Dreams in 2D6, are you offering? <laughs> uh, I am not going to cede 
MC-ness uh, anytime soon because I have too many good ideas that I want to I want to execute still. Um, we might do it for a special or something, though. I kind of want to run a uh, all-female uh, like magical girls game or something at some point, but that's not going to be for a while. Yeah, I can't remember if Magical Burst is the PBTA one or, or uh, there's like a few magical girl games out there, but they're on my list. There's one that I want to play. I know I, my list isn't in front of me right now. Yeah, uh, but but David's our uh, David is for the most part always our eponymous keeper. That's right. It's true. Next. Yeah. Uh, Actually, before that, hey, Dreams in 2D6, thanks for being a really great fan. We appreciate your patronage. But we don't have even if we don't have a Patreon. <laughs> yeah. But no, uh, uh, one of our earliest Twitter mutuals uh, and and a regular listener of the show. So thank you. I'm still um, trying to fix my pop filter. Our, Ariel knocked it. Our next one, I hope I don't butcher this too bad, uh, is from D Thomavor, also on Twitter. Bless you. Uh, what steps do you plan on taking to bring this podcast to the next level in terms of exposure and popularity? Would you play something like Avatar, the record-breaking PBTA Kickstarter, or would that violate an unspoken rule? I want to play the Avatar game so bad. So I'll talk about that specifically before answering that question more broadly. Um, I got to, uh, Emma and I both were part of a uh, one-shot that uh, some folks from Magpie Games, uh, the, the production company behind the new Avatar game, uh, that they were running to promote the Kickstarter. Uh, we played as players in a, like a five-person one-shot, and it was really fun. Um, I, I have some thoughts, and, or I have some concerns around how uh, the, the procedure of the combat currently works in the game, that it, it might not be the best for a podcast medium right now. I'm interested to see how the Kickstarter finishes. Um, I don't think there's any unspoken rule that like, I would never play a game like that, uh, that like that we would never run a game like that on this podcast. In fact, the game that we're running after the watch is probably Monster of the Week, which it's hard to get much bigger uh, as a PBTA game than mm-hmm. that. Uh, so maybe masks. Um, also, one we will probably play at some point. Yeah. Uh, so I I definitely think we very well could play Avatar on the podcast. One thing I will say though is I really hesitate to expand on known worlds. That's one of the reasons why I actually don't like doing historical fiction very much. I realized that as we ran the Undying game is that a lot of times I just felt sort of trapped by that instead of feeling like liberated as I often do when I'm running a one shot. Uh, So having to interact in a known world is something that is not my favorite thing to do. That said, I have lots of ideas to run some Avatar content and I'll probably do that at least on my own at some point, but we might do it for the podcast as well. Um, Sounds like we've got Pat as a player for sure. I just just want to be a firebender so bad. Um, but, uh, to, to answer the first part of the question, like what's sort of like, what do we want to do to, to elevate the podcast? Um, uh, honestly, uh, if you're a listener and you know, people that enjoy tabletop role play podcasts, uh, recommend us. That's a big way right there. Yeah. It's all on you, baby. (laughs) It's not all on you, but your help would certainly be great. Um, I mean, yeah, any anytime people mention us to other folks, organic growth like that is um, there's you you can't you can't market for that. That's something you can really only get from making a good product. Right. So uh, I'm just really glad that that ha- I've seen that happen. I've seen people who've come to the show because other people recommended it to them. Uh, that's phenomenal to me. It's so uh, heartening to see that happen. Um, 
I think one of the biggest things that uh, we can do is like collaborate with other shows. Um, so uh, it's a poorly You're starting that with the watch, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, it's a poorly kept secret that uh, we have a guest on the watch, uh, uh, Dana from the show Meddling with Monsters. She is one of our players for that game. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, and that like being able to do collaborations like that are partly like bread and butter for for building the show as well because like as you collaborate with other shows you you can connect with other audiences that are like yours and hopefully that cross-pollination can help both shows right uh so that's one uh area that we're we are working towards uh and then i would say also that like once we've launched the patreon especially uh that if we get a little bit of cash flow with the show going we can like pay pay for spots on maybe some bigger shows uh that can help pull in uh uh, listeners to us and also like there are other games that we intend to play in the future that have big followings monster of the week is one uh when we start running that game uh, or when we start releasing that game sometime next year we'll absolutely like uh you know post about that in those groups uh and hopefully bring in some listeners from people who really enjoy that game um, and there are other games as well that are like that that have their own audiences. I think it's one of the cool things about doing a uh, uh, a podcast anthology like this, right, where we we play sessions in different systems, is that each time we sort of have a chance to talk to the audience of people who like that specific game and say, hey, uh, we played it. We had a good time. Here's what we made out of it. Uh, if you like this. Maybe check out some of the other stuff we do. And so each time we have a chance of picking up people both for that game and also exposing them to other systems we've run, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really great. It's one of the things I love about this format. I hope that answers that question satisfactorily. I think <laughs> we it does. Sort of rambled around the corners. Um, let's see. Uh, so another one we have is from uh, Scredly the Ogre, uh, both on Discord and on Twitter, I believe. Uh, was there a specific Firebird myth that you pulled from for uh, Brindlewood Bay? Uh, and how quickly did the players figure out the mystery as opposed to the characters? I think we've already answered the second one. Yeah, we answered the second one, but I'll rehash it real quick. As soon as we saw the Firebird emblem and ash in the... Uh, storage room. In the storage room, uh, we uh, leaned real into the supernatural. Yeah, I think that was like the seedling of it, and then it just sort of developed for you all from there. Yeah. Pat was taking a lot of notes as we went along. Um, Dude, my character sheet, the back of it is nothing but notes. Uh, to, to answer the first question, um, as I mentioned, like Rob is representative of the Phoenix. Uh, that's sort of revealed in the final, uh, the finale. Um, of course, I'll add to that the Firebird mascot for the school was never like originally planned to exclusively be that, right? Um, because as I mentioned, this this is all organic, right? Uh, the Firebird mascot was chosen for the 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 mystery that that I wrote because I went through like a lot of mascot ideas and I just wanted something that f- felt just a little bit stupid to say, like a buccaneer. Yes, <laughs> Firebird. The fact that we didn't say Phoenix until yeah. the very end miracle, and just honestly. kept calling it a Firebird instead it was dumb and in the back of my head I'm just all like just call it a Phoenix man but that's <laughs> like part Phoenix. of the charm right yeah cause like that's the thing like, hi- like high school mascots are often just really 
little ridiculous things. Because so, when I hear Firebird, the first thing I think of is a car. That's reasonable. Yeah, I, and I love that, right? Like, it could be multiple things. Uh, I, I, I wanted something uh, evocative, but, like, that felt... Every time you say it, you're like, isn't there a better word for this? Like, like isn't there... Phoenix? <laughs> well, I will say one of the personal connections that made it easier to really fuel Diana's fire was one of the things that was helpful in that was the disc golf discs that I throw. One of them happens to be the Firebird and is one of the more popular discs that has lore behind it to a certain degree if you're familiar with disc golf. And so that was some character background that Diana brought in, but also I found great pleasure in between sessions playing disc golf with he is the keeper, correct? Yep. David yes. the keeper. Um that anytime I would say, Hey, I'm throwing my firebird here would just completely derail him because those two worlds did not coexist in the way that they coexisted for my character. So long story short, initially there was no inspiration. I just slapped together two words that felt stupid, stupid enough together, real enough, but stupid enough. Uh, and then with the ending of it, uh, inspired by by Greek myth, uh, specifically like the the concept of cycles, right? We'd sort of baked into Rob's story already. Uh, and so that was the the core inspiration um, for for that. Um, I've got a couple more questions from Scradley. There's one that I want to finish on uh, from another listener, but I want to add, let's answer some of these first. We have a little bit of time here. So one was, uh, what was everyone's favorite scene in Brindlewood Bay? What was your favorite scene from the game? This is a little bit like a star, but hmm. we'll keep it. Uh, I don't know if I have an exact favorite, but I have a few that I want to mention. Uh, I mentioned earlier uh, the Door Creek was a lot of fun. Uh, it was funny. Uh, we lost our goddamn minds when that moment happened. Yep. <laughs> we were so slap happy. It was also just very good. Um, I liked uh any time that uh Diana mentioned and the whip. <laughs> uh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> any of that was real uncomfortable and real fun mm-hmm. um I, I gotta i gotta give a shout out to goji opening the door for uh coach and uh marion yeah, uh that, that was, was that was really cool and it's really nice that you rolled really high on that emma because i don't know how we would have gotten through that door otherwise i rolled really well Whole in game. this game uh oh any other any other scenes uh Dempsey Emma The phone call was probably one of my favorite bits. It was great. I I feel like we hit a really nice stride with uh with our characters in that phone call and how they they talk to each other which we pulled into the last couple of scenes which was nice. I think one that we talked about for Diana early on was the exchange with Bartleby. Yeah, that was and fun. There is a lot of character autonomy there for Diana that was able to shine through as she kind of embraced on partly like the only individual element really for an extended period of time throughout the story 
and then was able to rejoin and um, bring back that group SAS dynamic. But the individuality there was a lot of fun to explore. It was good. I think I've thought about it and I've thought about it, but it really is kind of an easy one for me. My favorite scene was the ending scene with uh, Bell Raymond. Uh, that because like everything as soon as you all made it inside was each of your characters really like shown uh, with like what their dispositions were and how they reacted to the circumstance Um, and then also just Belle is so fun to play Uh, she's definitely up there for me for like antagonists that I've I've made Um, it was just really fun to do all of her dialogue uh, that was a blast for me. So I really loved that scene. And I love how it came out too. I think it she she feels the appropriate balance of like normal and not normal. <laughs> yeah. I would also be remiss to say the authentic exchanges that I had with Big Patty Pat to my right was also just like a really foundational point in what I would describe as a flourishing and budding relationship <laughs> Dempsey's just happy he gets to spend all of his time with Pat really at the end of the day because in a, in like a, a very serious sense I have a long extensive um, understanding of how David and I's personalities mesh and also to a certain degree Emma and I's whereas Pat is much more of a kind of unexplored terrain of passion (laughs) all right i think we're gonna cut dempsey off right there uh probably should have a couple of sentences ago but we're gonna stop at this point anyhow splice it as you will i would say that the ability for diana and coach to um go back and forth between what was the peach tree to just the (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) the worst bit (laughs) (laughs) to um the the completely out of the blue setups that there was no way coach was going to know where it was going whereas emma and david might have caught on to one or two where i said um in the was it the fourth episode the finale that i said something along the lines of what's in the middle of your face and you get the most authentic I have no idea where this is going. My nose. And then Diana just steamrolls through with, I knew that's where, what you would say. You had no other option. You didn't know what was happening. And so the. Well, it, it was classic Diana and also classic Dempsey at the same time. Yeah, the, also, the nuance of the relationship was a lot of fun. I also love because of the peach tree. You saying anytime that Diana says peachy, that's a reference, and then you don't. No one ever. says peachy. No one. In the rest of the setup in the entire game, <laughs> no one says peachy. Uh, it's, well, there's it, a wish. <laughs> it is, it's the it is the worst bit that made it into the game. <laughs> put it, put it on the record now. Uh, okay, I think that that answers that question pretty well. Uh, I think that also sort of answers uh, another one from them was uh, what was your favorite or the most interesting detail from the game? We've covered a lot of details in the course of this and in our stars. Um, Was there something that completely confused you during play? We talked about Pat and the crowns. Crowns, man. Uh, But then this one is kind of fun. Uh, Are there any rules from other PBTA games that you would like to see in Brindlewood Bay? Mm. Uh, 
fighting. See, you say that, but I part but that, but that's only because of the character that I played. Yeah, if yeah. I had played a different kind of character, I would not care. But the fact that coach is who coach is, man, a fighting mechanic would be real nice. I, I do think that having something like that would be sort of antithetical to the the goal of the system. Um, but I do understand from like coach's perspective wanting to punch. But I feel like you can handle that with a day day move or a night move, right? Probably. You can absolutely handle that in that. Um, I I was gonna say, uh, and I actually recently had a, a conversation with uh, Jason Cordova because I've been playing as a, a player in a uh, Brindlewood Bay campaign that he just finished. It was really fun. It's on YouTube. You can find it on his channel. I'll probably have a link to that in the description. Um, so there it is, the opportunity to see David not moderating. That's true. Yeah. Do you want to see me as a player? To see his face. Uh, I I play uh, Ida Packard. Uh, she is a a old old lady uh, who goes from a very reasonable position to a very uh, uh, cult position by the end of the game. It's a, it's a blast. Um, but uh, in a conversation recently, uh, Jason mentioned that he had very intentionally uh, not included a help move in the game where a maven could mechanically help another maven because that's sort of counter to to his personal ethos around those sorts of moves. He doesn't, doesn't like them. Uh, and... It's something that uh, I th- I think that doesn't at all hurt the system because there's so many ways for the mavens to sort of help themselves. Um, but it is something that just organically emerged uh, in the Brindlewood Bay campaign that I've run on the side. One of our occult moves uh, was essentially uh, a ability for a maven to aid another maven with via sort of spiritual inclinations. It's it ends up being a occult version of the help move. <laughs> So I think that's something that, uh, although it's something that Jason specifically intended to not include, it's something that just sort of happened in a game that I ran. So it's it's a move that I could see fitting into the game, but I also understand and respect why it's not. Um, I think that answers that. So that brings me to our final question, uh, which is probably the most important question that has ever been asked on this show. Boxers or briefs? No, no, no. Who's the keeper? No, even more important than either of those. Oh two. man, I wish someone would have sent in who's the keeper. But <laughs> <laughs> it was cut. Oh man, that would have uh, been a good bit. But but it comes from uh, read plays on uh, on Discord. Uh, which two characters from any arc are your 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 OTP ship? Your one true pair. Uh, which which two characters do you ship? This this can be from Brindlewood Bay. This can be from from any combination of our previous games. What's your pairing? Man, I don't I don't want to be the guy that picks his own character, but uh, uh, Crispin and Morgan. Ah, mm. yeah, I like I want, that. Uh, uh, I think we alluded a little bit to the fact that they may have had uh, a few flings in the past in that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that would have been really fun to see blossoming relationship with that. That being said, there's the problem with Max in there as well, but, that's uh, true. that's fine. But we've already, we've always said Max is plan B, right? That's, that's true. Well, Crispin's well, plan Crispin B. <laughs> is Max's plan. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I think that, uh, Annie and Forrest are about the only two characters who could handle each other in the games that we have. <laughs> <laughs> that we have played. <laughs> I also, I, 
also think that uh, that uh, Zirik and uh, Strathmill. Oh, I do love the Zirik. Yeah, Zirik Strathmill. Lines. It's very good. Pretty great. Solid one. We made enough jokes about it. Uh, I think, uh, n- not to speak for Dempsey, but I'm going to, uh, Dempsey and Pat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, man. Uh, uh, I think Emma and David make a pretty good oh, pair. Yeah, pretty good pairing. Pretty good pairing. Solid. Solid. Uh, I'm trying to think, man, this is such a hard question for me because there's been a lot of, a lot of characters. Uh, I do think that, I mean, if, if what, if Diana wants to be with someone, I I feel like I want, I want the opportunity. Are you about to say why not Bartleby? No, no, goodness. No, no. Diana isn't feeling that relationship. She, she recognizes that that was maybe a part of her past that while bringing it back into the fore, help them out in this circumstance. It's not where she wants to go in her future, you know? Perhaps um, the colonel. <laughs> but uh, we, I did like that we meant, we brought up Jimmy Buffet. Uh, and so it, right. I, this ties into a wish. I'd love to see who Jimmy Buffet is. <laughs> I'd love to bring that in. <laughs> I would love to meet Jimmy Buffet. Or, or finally answer the question, what about Wendy? What, what about, about Wendy from the setup? From the setup. Mm-hmm. Um, oh man! But apart apart from that, uh, I want I want to, I want to think like cross arc ships. I mean, obviously the conductor in Bell Raymond, he wears a cloak of, yeah, that, of no, Raven that's feathers. True. Fair and, enough. And she has hers of vulture feathers. Yeah, I mean, but the just... conductor isn't pure evil like Bell Raven. Well, yeah, first, Raymond. first, that, that's a lot. That's a big assumption you're making about Bell. Uh, but, <laughs> but more importantly, I feel like there is the hint there midway that he knows some occult stuff. Uh, so he hasn't. I'm not going to say that because there may be people who are listening that have not uh, listened through Ghost Lines. I don't know why they would do that, but that's fine. Yeah, he has some things. Uh, Well, uh, either way, I think that's enough shipping for now. Um, So I think then, unless uh, anyone have any parting comments before we wrap this up to a close? Marion, dear, would you please stop making that racket? We're trying to be stealthy. <laughs> that was legitimately one of the most in-game embarrassing moments of my life. <laughs> <laughs> because then she's just sitting there staring at me in the room, and I'm like, yeah, there's literally nothing I can do here to correct this moment. There's no move. There's no item. There's no fixing this. <laughs> Diana is such a wild card, and I love her. Uh, Diana is a beautiful, beautiful character. Probably one of my favorite characters in all of uh, Trials of the Apocalypse. Well, I hope to uh, see you all for our next game for The Watch as we bring uh, even even more new and exciting characters to the fore. Uh, and oh, Crispin and Catterjune. All right, we've we've gone too far. Drain. <laughs> Michelle Francis Lee Cunningham Dempsey to the twenty second. And spot. <laughs> and spot. And spot. Anyway. Anyway. Love uh, you all. See you later. Yeah, love you all, I guess. <laughs> Keep that dexterity strong. David, you're the keeper, right? No.
Can you hear the footsteps in the shadows? Can you smell the metal tang of blood on the air? Can you feel the veil between worlds slipping away with each heartbeat? The Between is here. The Between is a tabletop role-playing game about a group of mysterious monster hunters in Victorian-era London. These hunters learn about monsters and killers throughout the city and conduct investigations in order to neutralize them. Over time, they become aware of the plans of a criminal mastermind who is pulling the strings behind the scenes. They will eventually be forced to confront this mastermind in order to save Queen and Country. The Between is directly inspired by the TV show Penny Dreadful, but also takes inspiration from British horror classics, the works of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, pulp-era media, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and from Hell. It's powered by the apocalypse and uses the mystery system from our hit game Brindlewood Bay. The Between comes with a 129-page rulebook, seven playbooks, ten scenarios or threats, a mastermind campaign sheet, reference sheets, and a supplement called London at Night, The Unseen. The Between PDF is available now on the Gauntlet Patreon. Just go to patreon.com forward slash gauntlet. The Between will be available on Drive-Thru RPG starting June 14th.